You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, and unafraid witness. Thank you for listening. All right, Luke 15 today. Um, let me start with this. Can't, can't get anywhere before starting with this today. Uh, you guys know you're loved, right? You are loved. Remember, I said we're going to start every service with that, not just end every service. We're going to start. So, so let me say it again. You have, to, you have to get this. Look up here. Come on. Forget about your Bibles for a minute. You need to hear this today. It's not just from me. It's from God. You are loved today. You're loved truly, deeply, meaningfully. God loves you. I think we know this. We've been in church a lot of times. But I think then the next question is, well, tell me, Pastor, like really, how much does God love me? Like, there's a, is there a limit to the love of God? You ever thought that to yourself? A few years ago, I was reading Zach, a number of years ago now, a little kid's book that says, I think it was called something like, I love you this much. I couldn't find it this week. I would have brought it to show you. because I love you this much. It was really, I think, a father rabbit and a little baby rabbit. And the, the father trying to communicate how much he loves his love to his son. And so it ends with, like, I love you from the moon kind of thing, you know. And, and Zach's always been a deep thinker. And even at, like, five or six, he's always been a deep thinker. So I was finished reading that. I'm like, good night, buddy, good night. And he's like, I have a question for you, Dad. I'm like, yeah, he's like, do you really love me that much? I'm like, absolutely. He's like, well, what happens if I told a lie? Would you still love me? I'm like, did you tell a lie? He's like, no, I'm just asking a question. I'm like, well, of course I'd still love you. I'd be disappointed, but I'd still love you. Well, what happens if like, I was a, a bad kid at school? I'm like, what are you trying to do, son? Are you trying to like, fess up to something here? He's like, no, I'm just asking questions. Like, what happens if I was a bad kid at school? Would you still love me? I'm like, of course I'd still love you, Zach. You're going to be disappointed, but I still love you. Well, what happens if I grew up and I robbed a bank and went to jail and was like a really bad kid. Would you still love me then? You know, he's getting a little bit deeper into the whole thing, right? And I'm like, Zach, again, like that would be hurtful to me, but you have to understand, son, like I, nothing could take my love from you. Well, what happens if I ran away one day, Dad? I can't remember the exact things he's saying, but these are the gist of it, you know? What if I ran away one day and I didn't even want to see you and Mom again? Would you still love me? I'm like, A, you're not doing it. And B, of course I'd still love you. Then he pulled this one out. I remember this one pretty clearly. What if I don't love Jesus? Will you still love me? Gets a little close to home, eh? I was like, Zach, you can stop with the questions. I know where this is going. And I just want to give you one answer for all the questions you could, if I could ever, you know what I mean, that you'll ever want to hear. The answer is always going to be the same. It's always going to be yes, son. All right, Dad, good night. I tell you that because I think when it comes to our relationship with God, I think, I think we can be here over and over, I love you. But in the back of our minds, there's the same question that a little boy asks his dad, the same question we want to ask our Heavenly Father. I know you love me, God, but what if? What if, what if I sin so much that I lose your favor? Ever ask God these questions I have before? Like, 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 like what if I totally like make a make a, a, a Horrible mess of my family. Would you still love me, God? What if, I, what if I train wreck my life? Or what if I get to the point where I get so frustrated that I curse you? Or what if I walk away from you? Will you still love me, God? Here's the truth, brothers and sisters, today as followers of Jesus Christ, for those who have repented of their sin and put their hope in Jesus Christ as their sole source of salvation, the answer is always gonna be the same for you. The answer is always gonna be unequivocally, yes, I love you with an eternal, everlasting love. God's love for us is like, the Olympic torch, it shines as brightly at the beginning of the journey as it does at the end of the journey and nothing can snuff it out. Do you understand that today? 
That's an amazing truth that as followers of Christ, we can't lose sight of or let go of. And so this morning, we're going to go to another well-known passage of Scripture today, one that has inspired many sermons, and more importantly, one that speaks deeply into every human heart. Hopefully, you're there already. Uh, Luke chapter uh, 15. It's one of Jesus' longest parables and has many themes. The parable of the prodigal son or the lost son has got many themes. We're going to simply hit one of those themes today, so I'm not going to exhaustively cover this. I could do seven sermons on this one parable. Here's what we're going to hit today as far as God's love. We've talked about God's epic love, his broad love. We've talked about God's pursuing love. Today we're talking simply about this, God's all-forgiving love. This is key for us, for many times we're going to find ourselves far away from God in our hearts. Our own sinfulness, our own sinful tendencies are going to, they're prone to find us in a place so far away from God that we're going to need to hear this again. And maybe some of you are there today, you're you're coming into church and you're here, but man, your heart is so far from God today. Maybe you're wondering, does God still love me? Because man, this last week I had, this last year I had, this last three years I had, I just don't think God can love me anymore. This is for all of us today, whether you're there today or you're gonna be there in the future because of your human tendencies. God loves you with an all-forgiving love. I'm gonna read it, and then I'm just gonna unpack it the best way I know how for the glory of God. Here's what it says, verse 11. Let me read the whole parable for you. And and he said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. It got so bad he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. I said I was going to read the whole thing. I'm not. I'm just going to stop right there. I want you to see this before we move on. When it comes to Us and God. Clearly in this passage, the Father is God and we are the sons. Let me tell you this. This is the first thing you write in your notes. It's never wise to run away from God. That's a a mild way of saying it. It's it's actually detrimental to your, your, your soul. It's devastating to your life to run away from God. Let me help you understand the fullness of what's happening in this text to, so, you, so you can see this. I think we, we know this story and we read it, but let us let it sink in here this morning. Here's the story. There's this wealthy guy with two sons. The older son's very responsible and faithful and steady. The younger son, not so much. He's restless and free-spirited and eager to explore. And so it says here, one day he went to his dad and he says, Dad, can I have my inheritance? He's just tired of being under his dad's watchful eye. He was, he was tired of just doing life with his dad. And, and he's one of these guys that's like, I'm my own man. Like, I want to live my life. I'm not going to waste it here forever under your little filthy rules, you know? So he went to his dad. He said, Dad, can I have my inheritance? Seems pretty, pretty insignificant enough, but this is a big deal in Jewish times. The, the inheritance was to come when his father was dead. And in Deuteronomy 21, we learn that the, the, the inheritance due him, the older son was going to get two-thirds, the younger son was going to get one-thirds. He went to his dad and basically said, hey, dad, dad, I'm done with you now. I want what's due me. Is he the arrogance in that? I want my one-third. And I'm out of here. Basically, what he was saying, this isn't just like a little diss. This is basically saying, dad, I wish you were dead. 
The dad had no obligation to give him anything, but grace, graciously he just says, okay, son, you want your third? Here we go. So the son went and right away turned his, his inheritance, inheritance into liquid assets. So went and put a for sale sign on the land, probably took the livestock to, to slaughter, went to the pawn shop and pawn stuff. Next thing you know, this guy has a couple pockets f- sagging full of cash and an open road going like, woohoo, freedom! Gonna live my life! So he sets out, and he sets out with all this newfound freedom. It always seems good at first, doesn't it, freedom? He sets out, and he starts living, it says here, recklessly, reckless living. He hits the party scene with opulence and immorality. We learn at the end of this that there's prostitutes involved. And so you get this picture like he's one of these young athletes that signs a big contract that has no wisdom and no no moral restraint. He's just like, he's living it up. And he's like fast cars and steakhouses and and women and and fancy places, the whole thing. He's, He's going after it. Actually, the word prodigal, just so you understand this, the word prodigal does not mean wanderer. actually means a wastefully extravagant person. He was going to live in this utterly debauched lifestyle, wasting everything that was good in his life. Doesn't take long, though, because he says he squandered his property. It means he it piddled away. Before you know it, he thought he had a big bank account, and it was done. So verse 14, he spent everything. To top it all off, a severe famine arose in the country. I'm not talking like a little bit of like, oh, it's getting hard times. Remember the Great Depression? That's the type of famine. Like, there's no crops. There's no jobs. Even the wealthier struggling. So this guy ends up finding himself with nothing. He was literally a Jew working for a Gentile. When he went to a faraway land, he was saying he went beyond the boundaries of Jerusalem. Kind of like, I'm getting away from everything that I know, and I'm starting over, and I'm going to make my own life finds himself working for a Gentile looking after pigs. This is like the ultimate slam to Jewish people. Pigs are the dirtiest of the dirty. And and this guy's sitting there with the pigs, serving a Gentile boss. He's looking at the pig's food going, even that stuff looks good. You can't eat pig food. It's not meant for humans. But the the pods, probably the tall evergreen carob tree pods that were part of that, he's looking at those going like, man, this looks good. Even... Get this, even the beggars were better off than this guy, and no one, it says here, no one gave him anything. The beggars, people would drop money, and this guy was just like a nobody. What a predicament. Taking charge, going to do my own thing. This is the life that I'm going to live. And next thing you know, before long, he's, he's destitute. He's worse than destitute. And he finds himself, let's be honest, in the exact same place that every person finds themselves when they choose actively that I'm not going to do it God's way anymore. I'm done with God. I'm going to do it my own way. Always promises so much. Always promises so much. It promises heaven, the enemy, but delivers hell every time. And so what do we, what do we learn from even the predicament that he is in? I think this is a great warning for us. As we think about our own lives, as we think about like, like where am I going to go? Am I going to stick with God or am I going to do my own thing? He finds himself in the exact same place that, get this, every human being finds themselves in when they leave God behind. It's not just never wise to leave God behind. It's absolutely devastating to a life to leave God behind. 
Think of the things that he's forfeited that we forfeit if we ever choose the path of sinful indulgence over the path of God's righteousness. Here's some of the things, the consequences of leaving God behind. Think of this, he forfeited fellowship. We forfeit fellowship. Think, think of all that this guy had that he took for granted in the care of his father. He had, he had a dad, he had a family, he had all the love he could ever long for. Now he found himself in a place of utter, lonely desolation. He forfeited fellowship. Guess what else he did? He bypassed blessing. This point in this guy's life, all the blessings of God, where are they? They're in the rearview mirror. Again, the things he took for granted is how it's a roof and clothes and, and living the good life. Now, literally, it's the crappy life with the pigs. Same things we forfeit when we choose to leave God behind. Maybe some of you have been dealing with some of these ramifications right now. Oh, you're here in body, but man, your spirit is so far from God, and, and you're realizing this. You don't have no fellowship anymore with God, that sweet fellowship you used to, used to once have. The blessings of God seem like a distant memory. What about this one? Eternal emptiness. And even more than having an empty belly, the predicament of this young man is he had an empty soul. He thought the pleasures of life were going to fill it and all the immorality and the prostitutes were going to fill it. Instead, he found himself at the wrong end of a get-rich-quick scam, promising so much and ending in poverty. Consequences of sin. Here's the last one. You just have to be aware of this. Maybe some of you are experiencing this today. Bitter bondage. Bitter bondage. He, th- think of all that he had as a son. Now what is he? He's a slave. He's at the beck and call of this Gentile guy who, who knows if he's going to treat him right, but he's definitely not going to treat him like his father. He went in a series of wrong choices. He went from a son to a slave in no time flat. This is the reality for everyone who chooses to abandon God and to decide that he's going to be the master of his own destiny. Ever find yourself there? I think we've all found ourselves there in some way or another. All of us. Deciding that, you know what? God's saying that way, but I think I, think I know better. I think, I, think, I think I want to control things, and so... So easy to come to, isn't it? Our hearts are so prone to wander. I'm with you on this. I fight this constantly like you guys do. And so a series of choices that we make, and before you know it, we didn't know how far away that road is going to lead. Maybe some people here today, it's sin, and, and, and it's hidden from everybody but, but you and God, and you know that. And, and so you've got this, this, this arrogance in your heart that, that no one tells me what to do. It's not even going to be God. And if it's going to make me happy and it's going to give me pleasure just like this guy, I'm going to do it. And so, and so outwardly, no one knows, but inwardly, you are, you are coveting other people's things and going after all the wrong things with, with materially. In, inwardly, maybe you're, you're, you're living in, in greed and in lust, and, and that road is taking you farther and farther away from God than you ever thought it could or, or maybe you just decided that, 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 that you're going you're to show up at church on Sunday and you're going to do the Christian thing, but in your heart, you're going to be like everybody else. Sin always takes us away from God. Anytime we say bye-bye to righteousness and bring on sin, we're going to find ourselves in a place of forfeited fellowship, bypass blessing, eternal emptiness, and bitter bondage. It's not the only thing that takes us away from God, though I think this is another one that always seems to crop up in believers' lives, hurt. And bitterness creeps up and start walking away from God down this road that you're not prepared to really walk. 
because you don't know the consequences, but you've decided now because you've been hurt, because life doesn't turn out the way that you think it should, and maybe, maybe God wasn't exactly the God that you pictured in your brain of how he's going to determine your life. And so you're, you've gotten hurt by that or someone, another believer's hurt you. And so you've decided in your heart that I'm going to still hope for salvation, but I'm not going to do life God's way anymore. I'm going to take control back for myself. And now today you found yourself in this predicament, the same as the prodigal son, living life but not living it for God for sure giving him the token nod, hoping that you're going to somehow be a beneficiary of his blessing, but having no time in your heart for him. Ultimately, the prodigal son was scraping the bottom of the barrel. He was like a, a Jewish man on death row. He was the bottom. He was, there's, there's nowhere to go but up. What do you do when you get there? Can we all admit we've been there in some way, shape, or form? We've all been there. What do you do when you get there? I think most of us give up, and we're like, well, there's no hope for me now. Like, I mean, let's just keep on going. Let this spiral continue, and it's going to keep going. And yet this passage goes on. There's so much more to this. I want to tell you this, because he gets to this place where there's, there's no hope, and yet finally when he gets to the place of no hope, God uh, helps him come to his senses. And I want to tell you this. If you're there today, or if you ever get there in the future, I want to tell you this today. Here's the hope of the passage. The reality of our hearts is the first part. Here's the hope of the passage. If you ever get to the place where you're at the bottom of the barrel, and you think you're so far from God, he could never bring you back, get this, it's never too late to return to your father. It's never too late to return to my father. I try and put myself in, I told you, these characters' shoes and try and feel what they felt and, and the emptiness of this, this situation, the hopelessness. It must have just been over the dark cloud of overwhelming reality of his life. It must have just been, been haunting him in his sleep and waking up going like, man, what have I done? What have I done? But look at verse 17. Sometimes God allows us to get to the bottom before it gets to this. But when he came to himself... He said this, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here. I am dying with hunger, so even this pig slop looks good. Comes up with a plan. Here's a plan. I'm going to arise and go to my father right now, and I'm going to say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. He's rehearsing his whole plan, right? I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So this moment with the pigs realizing that this stay here, this is all that life's going to amount to. I got one shot. I may as well go home and humble myself. And so look at verse 20. So he arose and came to his father. He starts putting the plan in action. Just when he thought there was no hope, he decides, I'm not going to sit here forever. I at least got one shot. I'm going home to dad. In verse 17, when he came to himself, this is, this is really a Hebrew Aramaic expression for he repented. That's what it means. It means like the, all, all of a sudden the, the darkness of the mind got clear. And all of a sudden he could, he could think clearly and he could see properly. And, and then the, the, the moral uh, inept in his heart all of a sudden became obvious to him. Like, like, like kind of this moment of like, what in the heck am I doing here? What have I done to my life? I'm an idiot. I had everything. And now I have nothing, and, and really his, 
prayer here, his plan and his prayer, it's a heartfelt cry simply to once again be united with his dad. I think he got to this place of this, this emptiness of like, oh my goodness, I, I, I just want to go home. And so as he came to himself, this passage shows us what it really is to return to the Father. It's, it's, it's what true repentance really is. Look, 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 look at these words with me. Father, he says. Remember the disrespect of like, I wish you were dead? Now, now it's Father again. Father, I have sinned against heaven. He just, he, he, no hiding from it, no excusing. It's so plainly obvious to everybody. Why don't I just, just own up to it, right? I have sinned against heaven. My sin is before God. I've disobeyed God. I've turned my back on God. I'm a rebel. He's feeling the weight of his own consequence and the choices and the consequences of his sin right now, which is not a bad thing. We want to run from these things. It's not a bad thing. It always leads us to repentance. I've sinned before you. He's broke the fifth commandment to honor your father and your mother. And so, so he, he's playing, I'm going to go home. Like just the way that I've sinned before God. Oh my goodness, I've sinned before my dad. I can't believe I've hurt them so much and dishonored the family name. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And this isn't like a self-loathing thing. This is just a true reality. Look at where I find myself because of my own wicked sinfulness. And if only, he says, if only you'll treat me as a hired servant. This isn't just like a, you know, we package it today, you know, I'm far away. Well, I'm just going to say sorry, and it's all going to be good, and we're going to forget it all and move on like nothing ever happened. This isn't one of those kind of superficial sorries. This is like he's feeling the overwhelming heaviness of his own sin to the point where it's not just a sorry. It's like I'll do whatever it takes to have a relationship with my, just to be in proximity to my dad again. It's not a pity party. It's reality. I want you to notice this. Sometimes God allows us to feel the full weight of the gravity of our situation. Why? Because it's only once we get there that we really long to be back with our Father again. Why isn't God showing grace to me? Maybe maybe he knows that if he steps in too quickly, you're just going to superficially take him for granted and you'll never truly come back in a way that you're going to embrace your Father and love your Father and be willing to submit yourself to your Father again. So we see here the path of repentance is the only way out. If you find yourself far away from God today and you're here, but you find your heart empty, you find your heart lonely, you find your heart longing for the blessing of God, there's only one path back, and it's the path of repentance. It's following suit with the prodigal son, owning our sin. We're so quick to dismiss our sin, point out our sin and everybody else. When was the last time we really owned our sin? And not just like a little bit like, oh, I know this is wrong before you, God, but, but oh my goodness, I've sinned against a holy God. When was the last time we asked to feel the weight of our sin? We don't want to feel the weight of anything, but, but sometimes it's good for us to feel the weight of our own sin that will recognize the glory of our Savior. Own it. If you're there today, own it. Confess it to God. Again, without minimizing or making excuses, just confess it to God. God, I find myself because in this place because of not everybody else, but because of me. Path to repentance, apologize to others. You offended anyone else in the process, go and apologize. Path to repentance, eat humble pie. Tough going down, but it's the most healthy, nutritious pie you'll ever eat. 
and then take action. I think we package superficial repentance in the church today and and so we have people still far from God and they, they, they know it, they admit it, and then we say, well, just say sorry and just keep on going the path you're going. Well, no, take action. Here's, here's the key to repentance. It's, it's not just coming up with a plan, not just acknowledging all the sin, but it's okay, I'm done with this now. I'm gonna take steps back to be with my father. Vance Havner says today, if they had a social gospel in the days of the prodigal son, probably someone would have given him a bed and a sandwich and he would have never gone home. You have to understand, this wasn't an easy place to be. I, I don't think this guy's like, yay, I'm going home. Think of what he's going to face, when, what he thinks he's going to face when he goes home. Like, like these thoughts probably going through his head. Oh, my goodness, my dad, I know he loves me, but I think, I think this time I've really done it. How am I going to tell my dad that a third of his, my, my whole, a third of what he gave me, my whole, a third of his whole, his whole, inheritance, a third of it, what he gave me, it's gone. How am I going to tell him that? He's not just going to be angry, he's going to kill me. But I think he came to the point where, you know what? He realized there's no other option. I continue in my own selfish, prideful sin, which leads me to death and emptiness, or I go home to my father. There's no options. So he decides to go home. I don't know where you come from today, brothers and sisters. I don't know what's going on in your hearts. We can look at our faces and see the big smile and assume that everybody's good. But here's, here's the reality. It's never too late to drop your stubborn pride. Admit that you've royally, royally messed up. Put your head down and go home. There's never a bad time to step over your fear and your shame and take steps back to God. It's always a great time to remember that you have a father that loves you more than you can ever know. Repentance. Is there something in your heart that even the Holy Spirit's revealing to you right now that you need to repent of today? You've been carrying too long. It's been taking you down this path that is, is getting you further and further and further from God. When you open up the word of God now, it's not even, it's not even speaking to you because you're so far away from him and you're trying to pray but they're hitting the ceilings and your joy is gone and your blessing is gone. Is there anything like that? Let me just encourage you with this. Today is the day where it's time to return to the Father. Because here's point number three that is going to be the main crux of this sermon. God will always rush to welcome me home. When you repent and take steps back to God, God will always rush to welcome me home. Here's where the extravagant love of God jumps off the pages in our hearts. Here's where it becomes so big that it's hard to comprehend. Here's where God's light shines in the darkness. Look, for, look with me at verse 20 here. Again, repentance, don't forget, is not just coming up with a plan, not just feeling sorry, but actually following, following through with humbling yourself and going towards the Father. And he rose, it says, and came to his Father. But while he was still a long way away off, his father saw him and felt compassion on him. This is the heart of God. And ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. This rehearsed speech that he already had gone over. But the father cut him off and quickly said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and now he's alive he was lost and he is now found and they began to celebrate. 
I don't know about you, but a bit unexpected, don't you think? Not, not just for the son, but for, the, for us as readers of this. Like, we know God loves. We know the Father loves the Son. We know our Father loves us, but this kind of reception is, is over the top. We tend to fear, what's going to happen if I go back? What kind of scolding am I going to get? What kind of questions are going to be asked? I, I can't handle it, and look what happens here. Well, he's still a long way off. In other words, here, I don't know exactly the context. We, we, we can't fully understand because this is all we got, right? This is, this is Jesus' parable. He's made this story up. These aren't real people. But I get the kind of the, the impression, when he, how do you see somebody a long way off? Well, I think what's probably happening is this father is so longing for his son that he probably woke up every morning sitting on the front porch of his house drinking his coffee, looking out like, like oh, Lord, please, today, would today be the day he comes home? As he's doing his chores, every once in a while looking up and going like, oh, just hoping today would be the day. And lo and behold, one day, maybe someone came to him and said, hey, there's, there's this straggler walking towards us. It looks like he just came from the survivor set, man. He's got this big hair, this big beard. He's dirty as all get up. But there's this, there's this lone guy coming towards your house. And, and in that moment, the compassion of a father who loves a son took over. And he, he, he didn't just wait for him to come. He ran to him. For a Jewish man to run in, in that day was... It just didn't happen. It was sort of embarrassing. You had to hold up your tunic. People would see your little chicken legs. You know, it was just embarrassing. It was, it was a disgrace. And so you see this guy here, like, he, he's throwing off all kind of like, who cares what people think? You can look at my chicken legs. I just can't wait to see. And he runs to him. And I can just, it's kind of like a chick flick, you know? The tears just are flowing. And he grabs, notice when he grabs his son before or after the little confession. Before, before even a word is off of his son's lips, feet that are quick to run to, to his son with compassion, with a heartfelt, I love, I long for, I feel not just bad for, but I have an empathy for my son. I, I'm glad my son's home. His feet quick to rush to compassion. And he picks him up and he embraces him and they hug and then the son starts his little speech. The, oh, father. And his dad's like, forget the speech. Forget the speech. Notice this. The dad's not looking for excuses or expectations. I know my tendency would be like, all right, son, where have you been? And where's the third of my inheritance I gave you? And I, <laughs> that's not the heart of the father. Before he even says a word, he grabs him. No keeping track of records. No like, oh, you're home now. I thought, I thought, you, thought, I thought you wanted me to be dead. Well, you must have run out of money. Now you're coming home, eh? None of that. There's not even an ounce of that. There's just like a, 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 an embrace. A, a, can, you, can you feel the, can you feel it? Just so glad you're home. So he says to his son, he's like, forget the speech, forget the speech. Go get this guy a robe. Go get this guy a robe. The robe is, is not like a new robe. He's, he's, Oh, yeah, I still have your robe up in the closet where you used to sleep. He's like, no, get him the robe. This is like the, the robe that they save for the, the special guest of honor. Get him the robe, the robe. Go get it. Get him a ring. Put it on his finger. You know what the ring was? It was symbolizing the, the authority of his sonship is back. Get some sandals for this guy's feet. They look hideous. Get some sandals. Even the slaves didn't wear sandals. 
This, this is in this one instant, he went from a slave to a son, all because of the love and the compassion of his father's heart. This is the greatest day of his dad's life. He's like, my son who was dead is now alive. My son who was lost is now found. Like, let's celebrate, get the cow. Again, they didn't eat meat a lot with meals then. Like, let's get the prime rib dinner out. This is like a feast of religious proportions. What makes this even more significant is in the Jewish culture, when somebody would go and spend their inheritance and waste it in a Gentile land and come back, the townspeople generally would perform a uh, ceremony called the kazaza. And they would meet them at the edge of the town. They'd break a pot before them and they'd basically cast them off forever and excommunicate them. That's how significant this deal is. So the picture we have here is this father maybe out trying to outrun the community people. Like there's, there's gonna be no breaking of pots here. There's gonna be welcome home banners for my son. I don't know about you, but this is a picture of God's love that is hard to fathom. I'm constantly, it seems, waiting for the hammer to come down. I know how sinful my heart is. I know how my, my little brain is so quick to wander. I know how I can find myself in this place of destitution of the soul really quickly in a day. It's crazy how fast I can get there. And yet... That's an improper view of God to always be expecting the hammer to come down. Here's what this picture is. This is a picture of God's persistent love for us through all my failures, through all my flaws, through all my frailties. Get this, brothers and sisters. Your God, if you're saved today, your God still loves you. It's a picture of God's love that's perplexing. It doesn't make sense. It's not how we respond. It's it's beyond anything human. It's stunning, it's overwhelming, it's awesome. It reminds us, it reminds you and I, hear this today, it reminds you and I that you can never be away too long to come back to God. It reminds us that you can never be too far gone to come back to God. It reminds us it's never too late to come home. You take one step towards home and guess what? Your father rushes to you to embrace you and bring you in and bestow upon you all the sonship or daughtership that you once loved and experienced. It's a parable Jesus gave us that we could catch a glimpse of the love that God has for us. Just a glimpse. I love reading stories where this actually played out in real life. There's one story that uh, an old Presbyterian evangelist, J. Wilbur Chapman, used to tell in almost all of his evangelism meetings back in the late, 1800, early 18, late 1800s, early 1900s. And uh, after one of his meetings, when he preached a message of salvation, this, this, this guy came up to him, and he looked pretty well to do, he came up to him and, and he said, this love of God, I've experienced that by my own dad, can I tell you my story? And so as this story goes, this guy got frustrated with his parents like some teenagers tend to and, and took off. And for 18 years, he spent his life on the streets, uh, far away from home, begging uh, for money, barely surviving. And as this guy tells a story, uh, one day when he was begging for money, he was uh, tapped this guy on the shoulder and said, hey buddy, can you spare a dime? Only the guy to turn around and look at him, and he realized instantly it was his dad, like 18 years older, but it was his dad. 
caught in the moment of like, what do you do now? He's like, Dad, do you recognize me? And of course, 18 years makes a big difference, right? And so his dad kind of did a couple blinks, and he's like, son! Embraced his son, weeping. He's like, you asked me for a dime? Like, I've been looking for you for 18 years. All that I have is yours. You can have anything I have, son. Just come home. This is God's heart for you and I. If you ever find yourself wandering or willfully rebelling, whatever that might look like for you, always remember this. It just takes one step back towards God and he'll come rushing to you. Let me give you some scriptures to back that up so you don't think I'm just making this up. We know that God is a God of wrath. We understand that. We know that God disciplines and God chastises. We understand that. We know that God hates sin. We understand that. But get, get the heart of God, though. God's heart is one of compassionate embrace for his children. And there is nothing you can do to escape the love of God if you're a child of God. Psalm 103, verses 8 to 13. We love this verse. Let me read it over you again right now. Here's what the Lord is. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide. I did it again. No, he keep his anger forever. Let this sink in. He does not deal with us according to our sins. He doesn't give us what we deserve. Can you imagine if God gave us what we deserved? Nor does he repay us according to our iniquities. Well, you did this, you deserve this. So great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him, who respect him, who revere him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Verse 13, as a father shows, get this word, compassion to his children. So the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. God's compassionate. There's no end to his forgiveness for those who truly humble themselves and come back to God. This is what it says in Isaiah 55, verse seven. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. There's a forsaking of your way and, the, the, and turning your thoughts back to align with God. Let him return to the Lord. Return to the Lord repentance that he may have compassion on him. That God may abundantly pardon him. Do you understand this, brothers and sisters? You can't outsin God's love. You just cannot possibly outsin God's love. It says the same thing in Ephesians 1 7, New Testament now. He, you think the Old Testament's all wrath. The Old Testament's full of love and grace. It's full of love and grace. It shows the holiness of God for sure. Here's New Testament, same thing. In him, it says in Ephesians 1, 7, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he has not just put on us, that he has lavished upon us, that he has doused us with. Think that bucket challenge. You remember the bucket challenge? when they were This is the grace of God. He douses us with grace. Brothers and sisters, this is God's forgiving love today. Will you humble yourself and accept it? You done being far away? Let God's grace reach out. You done being destitute and enough, enough destitution in this place in your soul? Reach for God, enough emptiness, enough slavery. Today is the day to come home to Jesus. 
Today's the day. No more putting it off. No more going to see what happens, see if I can work my way out of this mess. Today's the day to come back to Jesus. And we'll celebrate with you as you do. God's speaking to you today. It says in Hebrews, do not, when God speaks, do not harden your heart to the voice of God. Respond today in faith that God is exactly who the Bible says he is. He is a loving father that longs to embrace his children. You'd think this story would end there, right? Big celebration, everybody's having a big party, eat lots, go to bed. Ah, this is the way life was supposed to be. But it doesn't. Let me read the last part here and quickly comment on that before we're done. Verse 25, now his older son was in the field and he came and drew near to the house. He heard the music. So this is all going on. The older son's still at work and he heard the music and he dancing. And he called one of the servants to him and said, what's going on here? Like, what's the party for? Whose birthday? Did I forget dad's birthday again? Oops. But the servant says, your brother has come home and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. Like, this is a good day. You're, remember your brother, younger brother that laughed and took his, he's home, he's home. Everyone's excited except for the older brother. Look at verse 28. But he was angry. And he refused to go in. He's having this little, uh, you know, little temper tantrum that sometimes we have. Like, you love him more than me. You ever said that to your parents? Parents, you've heard your kids say that, right? That's sort of what's happening here. Well, you love, you love the, I'm not going in. Boo-hoo, poor me. His father comes out and he's like, what? And he's, like, he's, like, he's all ticked. He's like, just come in. Like he's entreating him. He's begging him. Just come in and celebrate. This is a great day. Your brother who is dead is now alive. He was lost. He's been found. We're a family again. I've been praying for this. I've longed for this. But he answered his father, verse 29, the, the older brother, and said this, look, these many years I've served you and never disobeyed your command, and you never gave me a young goat that I might even celebrate with my friends. Like I've been serving you faithfully all these years, and you show me nothing. This joker comes back. You give him all this? This son of yours? who ate up all your property of prostitutes? Really, Dad, this is the one you killed a fattened calf for? Totally, totally missed the point of having a loving father himself. The dad looks at him and he says to his son, Son! Don't you get it? You're always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for your brother is home. You ask yourself, why does it end with this? Like if I was going to write this story, I'd just stop at the like celebration part, wouldn't you? Leave on a high. Leave happy. I think here's why it's here, because somehow the older son, like the nation of Israel, this is really a picture of the nation of Israel, right? The older son, he missed the whole point of God's love. He was in the house of God missing the whole point of God's love and God's grace and God's forgiveness. Somehow he's in the house of God thinking that I'm serving God, not because he loves God, for the benefits and for the blessings, and this is all for me. It's not, this is for me. It's a selfish, self-righteous No outsiders or sinners should be in this kingdom. This is for us good people over here. Somehow the brother forgot that he is just as much a recipient of grace as the, the older brother. Forgot he's just as much a recipient of grace as the younger brother. What did he deserve? What did he do to deserve the house of God 
Nothing. What does brother do deserve the house of God? Nothing. Somehow he was in the house of his father, missing the whole truth and the whole reality of a loving relationship with his father. He missed the love of his dad. It's a reminder to us as people in the church, if you're not one of those who's far away right now, it's a reminder to us that there's no room for self-righteousness. There's no room for it's about me and look how good I am in the house of God. It reminds us to get back to our place. If you're sitting here today, well, of course God loves me. Of course he does. Look how good I am. It reminds us to get back to a place of, well, I'm more spiritual than everybody here. He loves me. It reminds us to a place to get back to the reality of having a proper view of God and, and understanding that there is nothing we've done to deserve the love of God. And we are all just like the younger son. At one time, we were far away, and by God's grace, he stopped us in our tracks. He make, made us come to our senses. It was not because we're smart, and we realized how impoverished we were. We turned around, took one step back to God, and, and, and Jesus rushed to us and embraced us and carried us home. We all have the same story. Don't ever forget that, brothers and sisters. Don't ever forget that. May we never forget the amazing grace that God has given us. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a like me. Let's never become a church that forgets that our whole purpose is to help people see the all-surpassing, all-forgiving love of God. Let's, let's be a church that's open to embracing and celebrating when people come. No, oh, you're coming home. Oh, where have you been? <laughs> Oh, you're coming to Jesus now? I don't think you deserve to be in Jesus. No, that's not it. When, when, when people come to Jesus, when people come home, it's a time to celebrate. It's a time to rejoice in all that God is and all that God has done. God's grace should always cause me to celebrate. And then just like that, the parable's over. Just like that, the parable's over. Reminding us that we can miss a lot of things, but we can't miss the love of God. Henry Nouwen summarizes this whole thing like this. He says this, unlike a fairy tale, the parable provides no happy ending. Instead, it leaves us face to face with one of life's hardest spiritual choices. Do I trust or do I not trust in God's all-forgiving love? Do you trust it today? Do you trust in God's all-forgiving love today even to the point where you're willing to put your pride aside today? And you're willing to run to Jesus no matter what people think, no matter all the pretenses are gone. I'm just, I just need to come home to Jesus. I need to come home. I can't forfeit fellowship any longer. I can't bypass blessing anymore. I can't live with this eternal emptiness in my heart. I can't live in bitter bondage anymore. It's time for me to not care about what anyone else thinks humble myself and come home. I'm convinced there's some in this church today that need to come home this morning. You need to come home. Can I invite you home? Can Jesus invite you home? God loves you. Don't forget the gospel. He loves you so much to bring you home that he sent his very own son to die for your sin, all of it, as ugly and as great as he, to die for it, that you might have the opportunity of forgiveness and a restored relationship with your father. That's you today, and God's speaking to you today. Don't waste, don't waste this, don't waste this opportunity. Well, God's speaking, humble yourself and come home and experience God's all-forgiving love anew, afresh. Maybe for the first time, maybe you've never come to Jesus. 
and you've been in this place where you're far away, you know it. You don't know this, the love of the God I'm talking about. Today is the day you know it personally, not just in here, but in here. Come home. As the worship team comes, let me pray. Father, I thank you for the new reminder of the persistent and perplexing love of our God. Oh God, I pray today that you would bring sinners home, those who've never known you, God, who've lived their lives apart from you, thinking that doing their own thing is the right thing and it's the best thing, it's gonna bring blessing and promise, only to find it's empty and it's void, it brings death, not life. God, would you bring them to yourself today? Would they realize that they are a sinner who needs a savior, who were created for so much more than spiritual bondage. They're created for life. The enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Jesus comes to give us life and give us life abundantly. Oh God, would you bring uh, first-time people to yourself today? through the power of Jesus Christ. Oh God, there's wanderers here. I'm sure there are. It's easy to get there. We can go through all the motions in our hearts, be so far from you, God. Would you prick consciences right now? Would you, would you make hearts beat quickly right now? Would you make hearts long for a relationship with God again, the, ones they, the one they once had? God, would you humble us to the point where we don't have to care what anyone else thinks. We just come home today. And allow Jesus to embrace us and carry us and bestow blessing upon us once again. That's where life is found. That's what we're created for. Would you make that happen today by the power of your Holy Spirit? God, for those that are walking in your love, may you help them, help us. Not lose sight of how awesome your all-forgiving love is. May we, may we tear down self-righteousness in this place today, God, us thinking that we're more spiritual, more deserving than anyone else. Would you help us just once again bask in the reality that I have a God, I can't understand this in my own heart, I have a God who loves me. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Would you remind us again and fill us with an awe of you because of your all-consuming love. Help us share it this week, oh God, and not keep this to ourselves. Thank you for being so faithful, so loving, so sure. The world around us is falling apart. Nothing is for certain, but you, O oh God, are the only certainty we have. Thank you for being our rocks, the same yesterday, today, and forever. In Jesus' name.